0: Howdy and welcome to another. Uh, what do we do?
1: It's a movie journal.
0: Howdy everybody and welcome to the BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. It's been a couple of weeks. In fact, it's been almost two weeks since we've recorded at all together because That's true. Of, because of San Diego Comic Con International 2016. Um, so uh, we got plenty of stuff to talk about. Or you do. Mm-hmm. You've seen a ton of stuff. Uh, yeah. I have not. So uh, what have you seen? All right, David.
1: First, I saw a movie that you have seen. Oh, that's fun! It is uh, Thank God, David Yates, the Legend of Tarzan.
0: Oh, you've been talking about seeing this since I saw
1: it. Yeah, I was. I was. Even ex- though I was insistent that it was just okay. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I was excited, parenthetical question mark, uh, to see the film because uh, I like David Yates, and um, I don't know. I was interested to see. I'm always interested to see uh, how Hollywood will take. A well-known property, li- but isn't like comic book relay, like an old property that's been adapted, to, you know, a million different times, uh, and turn it into a modern blockbuster. That always uh, intrigues me. And um, I would say I liked it. Didn't? Yeah, it's it's okay, but yeah. there are parts of it. I think the first two thirds are bordering on great. Like really? there are scenes that are great. Okay. Um, I would say it's very good. And then the third act, I believe you, I don't think you said it on mic, but, uh, it comes on so abruptly. Uh, yeah, there was like, Oh, Oh, I this guess is, we're here. This, this is the
0: climax. Yeah. <laughs>
1: this is happening. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, but no, the thing that, that I really, uh, responded to, I thought it looked very beautiful. Um, just like I got a really, really strong sense of like the denseness of the jungle, a density of the jungle. And, uh, And yeah, I really, I don't know, you could do, honestly, I think you could do worse, a lot worse, uh, seeing uh, as far as uh, summer blockbusters go. I think it was fairly well written. I think it was, I I think it was genuinely well acted all the way around. Uh, I do think the character of Tarzan kind of gets lost uh, amidst these other characters who are also interesting. But I think he starts to fade into the background. I think that,
0: I mean, that's kind of by design. I, I, I think that is an intentional choice they're making. To not to avoid the the white savior label, you know what I mean? I guess so, but because he's, I think he's constantly deferring to uh, to nature or to the people who are native to yeah to to Africa. So I feel like, or to this part of Africa, um, I'm, the Congo. Uh, yeah. I was forgetting the name of the area. Um, I think that's almost. I see it almost as a choice the character is making. So I feel like it...
1: he definitely there's there's definitely a, for lack of a better term, a humility to the character, and that like he just doesn't. He's he's at he's at his uh, calmest and and at his at his most peaceful when he is not around people uh-huh. and just kind of doing his own thing. And in, in, in that way, he's very animalistic mm-hmm. uh, and. But yeah, uh, but at the same time, I do feel like by design or not, if he's not on screen, I feel like there should be There's This is it's this is always a hard thing to mention, but it's a thing that that I will I refer to uh, Gangs of New York uh, when I say this. Liam Neeson's absence is its own character in the film like he's only in the first what 5 to 10 minutes okay but then the fact that he's gone and just like his this is going to sound weird like his spirit is is there you know and you have characters constantly not referencing him but like it's it's clear that the role that he played in these people's lives is still very much a part of their decisions um and i know that sounds very intangible but it's the big thing that i got from the from that film um and with this it feels like uh the spirit of the Tarzan character, he is transformative to the people that he meets. And uh, so I feel like, I don't know, it's hard to explain. It's very intangible.
0: I think it's... Now you're making me feel like I like the movie more. Okay. At least more than you do. Okay. Because I feel like... I know it's his name's in the title, but that's just branding or whatever. I feel like the... I I hate when people say that a place is a lead character. He's obviously the lead character, but he's maybe not the subject of the film. Yeah, To me, the subject is... The Congo, both as a political territory and as a jungle. Uh, And I I feel like it's that kind of overview. So I don't miss him when he's not there because he's, in many ways, like I used the word defer before I'll say it again. He Mm -hmm. he defers to the jungle.
1: I guess so. I wish that there are more, and maybe this is is me wishing it was just a, a different movie, that the... The various animals, like the the apes that he's uh, a part of, I, I wish that the that there's more character to them uh, a little bit. Mm. Um, CGI is good though. The CGI is really good, and if you if you like CGI apes, David, I'm telling you, you got to yeah. see these new uh, of the apes movies. Um, oh right, okay. But uh, I don't like CGI apes generally. I just I, I, I can just recognize when the, when it's well done. The CGI for uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes is better than this. Okay. It is it, it like the film literally starts with a close up of this ape's eyes and the texture is dead on. I mean it looks 100% right mm-hmm. and then it zooms out and it continues uh, to look right. Uh even though these apes are doing things that uh, I would say by and large apes don't do. Um I don't know, I'm yeah. not a zoologist, but <laughs> Yeah. Uh, neither am I. The other thing that Tarzan really did that I thought it it does really do a good job of establishing just the evils of colonialism uh, mm-hmm. which is a th- which is a theme that i tend to not be that uh, not even that not that into but not that interested in it's just like yeah i know <laughs> but e- even just things that are purely visual like the fact that you just see big crates of tusks mm-hmm. and you and yeah, you know that like oh i know what that means and yeah that is for a, every two of those exactly. there's a, an elephant carcass yeah. yeah and so uh it's it it's a serviceable Film that is occasionally, I think, very effective. Okay. Uh, What's next? next, I saw Paul Feig's Ghostbusters. Okay. I will not go into a great deal of detail because you can go and listen to my mini-sode oh. about it. Uh, th- it would appear that Ghostbusters is this year's Jurassic World for me—a film that is not particularly good, but I saw a lot in. Um, I do not think Ghostbusters is that funny, um, despite having people that I think are tremendously funny in it. Uh, but it is really trying to communicate a lot. There's a lot of interesting symbolism going on It I think it is a very personal film. Uh, and it's basically how it's, it's, it is about itself and I don't think it's self-indulgent in that way. I think it's as these women are becoming the ghostbusters in the film, they are also becoming the ghostbusters in culture and, the film is about that experience, which is to say what it is to be it could be an actress or just a woman in general uh moving into territory that is seen to be that of men hmm. um and there's there's a but but th- that's that's very general, but it is also very specific there are there's a stand in for critics there's a stand in for fanboys, and then eventually they literally like fight again they're fighting against. They're fighting against the Ghostbusters legacy. Not in that they want to destroy it, but it wants to destroy them. Uh, there's a lot going on in the movie that I thought was Wait, very, very interesting. So
0: in this movie, the previous Ghostbusters exist.
1: No. Okay,
0: so I don't know what you mean then. If I, but I don't don't tell me because that yeah,
1: yeah. would spoil it. Okay, because I'm definitely going to see this movie. Um. Um, I feel like you're. <laughs> I feel like you're insulting me somehow now. No, I'm not insulting but, you. But yeah, uh, boy, did I not expect to go into the movie. Thinking all, uh, come. sorry, I didn't expect to come out of the movie thinking all of these things, but considering the reaction that I had to Spy, Spy is infinitely funnier than this, but it also, I think, explores some very interesting things uh, about being an actress, being an actress like Melissa McCarthy, uh, who is, you know, a, a lead actress at this point, but is so often going to be seen a very specific way by Hollywood and by audiences and that. So I shouldn't have been surprised, um, but I still was. And I'm not sure if I'd say the film is worth seeing for these reasons, because, again, it is a comedy that I do not think is very funny. But it's, uh, I don't know, it was, it was interesting. I'm happy I saw it. Okay.
0: All right. Uh, uh, I, di- I didn't see anything um, quite so uh, topical as that, but I did see a movie that has been remade more than once, uh, I saw. Uh, I watched a movie uh, someone recently put out by the Criterion Collection on Blu-ray called "Here Comes Mr. Jordan." Oh, okay, which yeah. was remade um, by Warren Beatty as "Heaven Can Wait" and then as a Chris Rock vehicle called "Down to Earth." Yes, um, I only saw one of those. Do you want to guess, guess which one I saw? <sighs> I'm going to say the latter. Yep. I okay. saw down to earth. I saw the former. Saw down so down between the heaven two of wait. us, we're good. Apparently. So the play it's based on is called heaven can wait, but mm-hmm. there was the Ernst Lubitsch movie, heaven can wait, which I guess is why they changed it to here comes Mr. Jordan oh, for okay. the movie. But then I guess by the time Warren Beatty made it, yeah. no one remembered the Ernst Lubitsch well, movie Everybody
1: had so turned on Lubitsch by that <laughs> point, you
0: know? Uh, so if, if you're familiar with any of the movies that i named um then you know the plot of of uh here comes mr jordan mr jordan a uh person uh in let's see in warren Beatty's movie he was a football player and chris rock's movie he was a stand-up comedian here he's a boxer Mm -hmm. um gets into in this case a uh plane crash and is meant to have survived it i guess the fate's ordained that he was supposed to have survived it but the celestial uh workman who was assigned to him um made a mistake and took his soul mm. and then the body was destroyed uh cremated and so he's given the op- opportunity to you can take you can live out the rest of your allotted time on earth in someone else's body we will take you to someone who's about to die and um you can do the things you wanted to do in that body mm. and so he Um, goes to this rich guy who is um, murdered by his uh, his wife and his accountant who are in cahoots together to murder him for his money Mm -hmm. uh, takes over his body and decides to get back into boxing (laughs) Um, and that's it's an okay movie basically everything that I described is like the first act you know Mm -hmm. and everything I described probably sounds really interesting and cool Sure, and the, and, the, and it is the problem is that once he's in the body, it kind of it it. it ha, it's so imaginative and weirdly like dark in mm. the first parts because it's about death and this guy's like body was destroyed yeah. and this other guy is like. There's a scene between the lead whose name I forget and Mister Jordan, um, who is the heavenly representative, right. where they're. In the the living room of this rich guy whose body he's going to take, and and the guy's like, "Where is he?" He's like, "Oh, he's upstairs being murdered right now. He's being drowned in the bathtub by his wife and accountant." <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like all very sort of pleasant. Mr. Jordan's playing the piano, yeah. and uh, um, I I like that that stuff, and and the um, they built like expensive sets for uh, not even that expensive, but um, for that they don't call it heaven, but whatever. Um, it's just a huge soundstage filled with like dry ice. Basically. Yeah. So it's like, are walking on clouds that go on forever? It looks cool. Um, uh, the problem is that once it becomes formulaic, once it's, it's just, Oh, it's a guy in the body and he, uh, wants to get rid of the wife who tried to murder him. Right. And, uh, he's got a crush on this other girl. And so it becomes a romance and a pretty formulaic one at that. So, um, it's a, cool movie the cool idea that kind of unfortunately runs out of steam about 25-30 minutes in.
1: I remember liking Heaven Can Wait. Um, I don't remember much about it but I remember in, enjoying it and uh, not thinking it was anything tremendously special. Um, what about Down to Earth? Is, that, uh, is this better or worse than Down to Earth?
0: It's better than Down to Earth. Okay. Down, Down to Earth is kind of a, a mess. I mean the, the best parts of Down to Earth are chris rock doing material you can see him do or listen to him do he does he does chris rock material because he wrote it so it's like
1: it's stuff you've seen yeah and that's the the best part well just watch a stand-up special yeah exactly um all right what's next okay so uh, we'll just breeze past this uh at comic-con i saw batman the killing joke which i will talk about uh in a few days
0: okay so wait does this count as one you said you had nine movies is this one of the nine or is it nine? Oh yeah we're breezing past this
1: okay so this is not one of the nine
0: okay so there are nine yeah, yeah. so you have two okay. more to go before i right. go again
1: okay peek uh, behind the curtain i saw strangers on a train now oh, I've, I've seen, seen, seen this that. before yeah uh but it's been quite a while and i remember liking it not loving it the first time around uh this time much much better as tends to okay. be the case uh with with especially with somebody like hitchcock I saw these movies. They sounded interesting in high school. I watched them and thought, yeah, that's pretty good. And now that I have a deeper appreciation for filmmaking technique, I realize, oh, this is kind of amazing. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, for those that haven't seen it, seek it out. And if you're a Hitchcock fan you haven't seen it, you definitely need to seek it out. Um, it has, I think, one of the great Hitchcock characters, this guy Bruno, um, who is uh, the guy who comes up with the The scheme on yeah. the train, yeah, and played by uh, Robert Walker, who actually I think would uh, uh, die rather tragically. I think like the next year, so mm-hmm. he died very young. Um, and but he turned in this really marvelous performance, and maybe it wasn't the next year. Maybe it was. It, it, well, it was he died very young, and it was soon after. Um, but uh, so this character Bruno is just. You know, he's, uh, he's very, th- th- we talked about this a lot in my class. He's very, uh, coded gay. Um, he's yeah. very foppish. Yeah. Um, disturbingly close to his mother as all gay men are, I would assume, um, in the 1950s. Uh, and, uh, but he's just so interesting and he's, and he's a little bit sympathetic. Uh, he's creepy as hell, but he's also very funny and he's really the only character in a film that has a pulse. Um, the main character played by, uh, Farley Granger and, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because Farley Granger in real life was gay. Robert Walker was not. Uh, that's a thing that Hitchcock liked to do. We like to mix things up like that. Um, (laughs) and, uh, Farley Granger's character is not very interesting at all. Uh, but, uh. We're rooting for him on principle, but we'd much rather see Bruno on screen than this other guy whose name is appropriately Guy. Um, so you know, it's it's that it has it very much has that perverse Hitchcock quality to it, and where it, yeah. you find yourself not necessarily in sympathy with the villain, but a lot closer to him than you'd like to be.
0: But yeah, I'm finding he- hearing you talk about uh, Hitchcock films over the course of this semester, this has come up more than once. So mm-hmm. I think it was was it Notorious that you said it had a very Sympathetic Nazi? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, sympathetic villain, villains seem to be a big, uh, yeah. big thing with, with Hitchcock.
1: And even when not sympathetic, they're still tremendously fun to watch. Often more fun than the uh, than the hero. Right. But okay. So uh, let's see, "Strangers on the Train." Okay, I also watched "North by Northwest," another rewatch. Uh, and this, I'll say what I said in class. Uh, I saw "North by Northwest" when I was uh, in, in high school, like "Strangers on the Train." I'd heard a lot about it. I watched it, thought it was fine. Uh, and I wish I had a time machine to go back and kick my own ass. <laughs> because North by Northwest is one of the most fun, yeah. delightful movies I've ever seen. I, uh, Cary Grant is, I'd say he's a revelation, but everybody knows he's pretty great. And they knew it by then. Yeah. Um, it is incredibly well written. And it's, it is, for me, it is up there with... Um, Raiders of the Lost Ark when it comes to movies that are that, that are really just one set piece after another but that's how I think but of it still it, yeah. seems like one cohesive whole um, and I for, and people think about that crop duster scene mm-hmm. and it is amazing yeah what they f- what they don't remember at least what I what people don't talk about what I didn't remember is how long he's just standing out there in the middle of nowhere, because a bus drops him off and he's waiting for a contact. Uh-huh. He's going to keep waiting because nobody. He's it's a it's an ambush, and he's just standing there. And there's nothing around. There's no buildings. It's just he's standing literally at a crossroads, and it's just Cary Grant in a suit, a guy that we've seen is very much metro- metropolitan, just standing there trying to figure out what's going on, and it goes on for a long time before this. And you see the crop duster off in the distance, and it reminded me, oddly enough, of uh, Night of the Living Dead, uh, when they're in, right, yeah. when they're they're talking, and you see the zombie, you, like, the horror is still, it's there, uh-huh. but it's off in the distance, and, it just, and they just think it's some guy at the cemetery. And the crop duster just seems like a part of the scenery, and it will soon become a thing that wants to destroy him. It is a marvelous sequence that deserves all the, uh, all the accolades that it gets. Yeah. I, I love this movie so much.
0: It's a great movie. Uh, all right, my turn to talk about a not great movie. Okay. I've been wanting to see this movie for a while, for a long time, because for some reason, as a, as a kid, I caught some of it like on TV, like a Saturday afternoon showing, okay. which I've since read up about. I saw, a largely different version. This is a movie where they reshot like 40, like 40 minutes worth is different in the syndicated like TV version. Interesting. Um, it's a 1976 film called two minute warning, uh, which is about a, a very sadly, a very timely, uh, movie about a, um, mass shooting, sniper mass shooting at a professional football game. Hmm. And, um, I remember seeing some of it and being really engaged with it when I was probably too young to, um, see some pre- this pretty heavy stuff, uh, and so shout uh, put it out. Um, and I watched the the Blu Ray, which looks great and everything, and uh, also contains the TV version, which I have not rewatched. But and I'm watching the whole time, and I'm, I like I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it has like a 35 percent or something. Like it's a very yeah. poorly thought of movie, and I'm watching the whole time, and it's like very like. It's a slow burn movie, like mm-hmm. really building tension, building character. And I'm like, this movie is really solid. I wonder yeah. why people dislike it so much. And then it gets to the end. And it's so fucking cynical and exploitative mm-hmm. and sensationalistic in the way it ends. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This movie does suck. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> and we, I, did, we did an episode a while ago, well, yeah, by which I mean years ago, but ending like, yeah, it, yeah. movies like being whether an ending can make or break Absolutely. a movie. And this is one, yeah. I mean, it, it's a movie that's almost a full two hours long. It's about a sniper where not, except for in, there is a prologue where you see him uh, shoot someone, but he doesn't fire his gun until the very end when it's almost two minutes left in the movie, really. Yeah. Uh, and then it's just a fucking bloodbath. And it's like, <laughs> what was this for? All of this was... So he just kills a bunch of people? Yeah. And then the movie's over? Well, I mean they get him, but you never learn anything in, like I don't I'm not saying just from a character point of view if you never learn anything about why. You don't learn anything from the movie at all. It's just a hmm. uh it's got a really great it, it sort of fits into that seventies disaster movie thing where it's got a, like an all star cast. It's got oh, wow. Charlton Heston and Jack Klugman and Jenna Rollins and is it Rollins? Rollins. Uh and um um, John Cassavetes uh, is in it, and um, who am I missing? Martin Balsam is in it. Uh, it's got yeah, it's got this good cast. Oh, um, Bo Bridges. Um, who's and, the who's the 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 killer? Who's the sniper? Um, it's not an actor. You almost don't even see his face the entire movie, oh, which geez. is which is kind of an interesting choice. All but right. apparently, anyway. So don't. It's a terrible movie. Um, but what's interesting to me is they, you know, selling things to NBC or ABC or whatever was part of the idea of financing a movie back in the, at this time. Now, movies never show on network TV anymore, almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that was a thing when we were kids, like the ABC Sunday Night Movie or whatever, yeah. that, you know, doesn't have anymore. But basically, networks were like, <laughs> this movie is... M- nihilistic and brutal we're not showing this movie uh about a madman just picking people off on our network so they shot a f- 40 minutes of a different version where there is an explanation for why the guys up there uh killing people does that make it better i don't know i, I haven't re- i haven't watched it but the the point is <laughs> that basically there's a massive jewel heist going on like next to the stadium and this is all just a distraction for the jewel house is So, so just by like writing in an explanation for why this guy kills a bunch of people yeah. made it more palatable to networks to sell. Uh, uh, and
1: it's a totally, it's an entirely different thing as if, as if audience like, well, I mean, they're going to, st- I mean, they get diamonds out of it. <laughs> right, <you know>? yeah. <laughs> it's like senseless violence. No, thank you. You uh, like uh, same body count, but someone got some value out of it and I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm intrigued. I, I feel like I a want to see the um, I'll you the Blu-ray. Okay. Want. So, David, in this last week uh, of my class, we moved from Hitchcock movies to Hitchcock-influenced movies. Okay. Uh, so one of the movies that we watched was Michelangelo Antonioni's Blow Up. Okay. Which I did not care for. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm definitely in the minority. You know what? Here's the thing. I, res- I, I see what he's trying to do. And it's something that other filmmakers have done, and I've respected a great deal. And I do respect it in this as well, but it's part of, you know, uh, and I I know very little about Antonioni, um, so I need to, you know, watch more of his stuff. But um, so anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, good times. Um, But, yeah, I need to to see more of of his stuff, but uh, apparently something that he was interested in was uh, Ennui, Uh, in, in the 1960s and youth culture. Um, and so we have this, this, uh, young popular fashion photographer played by David Hemmings, uh, in London and he's kind of a misogynist and he's a womanizer and he's just not a great person all around and he's just kind of drifting. He has no real purpose in his life. And then he's taking photos in the park and he witnesses what, and he takes photos of what he thinks is a murder and he Mm -hmm. only realizes that later. Um, as he's developing the photos. And so he f- f- is trying to figure out, okay, well, what am I going to do about this? Uh, the answer is uh, virtually nothing. Um, there's no real sense of uh, urgency in in him trying to solve the murder. Uh, and that's part of it. That's, that's the idea, is that this is a guy who uh, purpose is suddenly introduced into his life and he seems somewhat invigorated by it for a while, but then just falls back into who he is. Uh, and then there's Hitchcockian elements such as, you know, did the murder actually take place or is this guy so eager for some kind of purpose yeah. that he manufactured this thing? And then the, the way the film ends is actually very interesting and it underlines that, that idea. So again, there's the film is doing a lot. Um, well, seeming to do very little, and that's a thing that I like and that I appreciate. Um, but it, and you know, and I I'm a fan of people like Jim Jarmusch who often makes characters that are just sort of bored and not really doing anything with their lives. And uh, but for for whatever reason, the film just did not. Uh, not it, and it wasn't meant to grab me, but it just it didn't engage me really at all. Like even intellectually, saying the things that I'm saying now. As I, recall, as I you know, recall them to you and say, say, oh, well, he's trying to examine this and that. That sounds actually very interesting. But when I'm watching the movie, I don't know. It's, it's, like, a, it's like a, I don't think there's a, a there's, probably, there's probably like a wine thing or like a cigar <laughs> thing where it's all about the aftertaste and not about the actual thing itself. Uh, that seems to be what this is okay um where and there and I guess there's nothing necessarily wrong with that but it doesn't make for the the most uh, pleasing viewing experience I'm, I'm way in the I'm very much in the minority a lot of people love blow up and good for them they're very smart uh but it also it reminded me of a movie that is very similar um but that I actually like quite a bit more which is a two lane blacktop I don't know if you ever saw that
0: oh I love that movie Did,
1: were, we in, were we in that road movies class together no okay I, I watched that on my own okay um but you see what I mean, where there are these people that are just sort of drifting through life, and then they decide they're going to do this thing. They're going to have this race, and whoever wins the race uh, or arrives at this place, they get you know both cars or whatever. And then they both just are like, "Yeah, it's fine." And then they both <laughs> just do their own thing. They don't even give a shit anymore. Yeah. And it just seemed very. It, it reminded me a lot of that, uh, as far as character arc is. You know, that seems like too lofty a term, but uh, but yeah, blow up. Uh, I feel like it might be a thing that I need to revisit um thinking about it the way i'm thinking about it now it might help me to appreciate it a little bit more um i do know that it went on to inspire brian de palma's blowout which i uh-huh. haven't seen and it also and and coppola regularly cites it as an influence on the conversation which i think is a masterpiece yeah um okay speaking of de palma yes uh i watched body double i've never seen that one it is very interesting uh i've this week, I read a number of articles about uh, De Palma and his being fairly open and flagrant uh, in his homages to Hitchcock. And Body yeah. Double is a mixture of rear window and vertigo. And it's not its not hiding it <laughs> at all. Uh, somebody's, you know, a guy's looking at an attractive woman through a window, um, uh, it, it through a, a telescope. And, uh, yeah, it's just... But it, and it's such an exercise in style, um, and it's such, it's such an exploration of artifice. Um, just so many, like the main character is an actor, and so so much of his life is not real. Um, and it was just very, I, I actually thought it was very interesting. I think it's a lot of fun. It's exploitative, as one would expect. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but I did enjoy it. Uh, Greg Henry is in it. Always fun to see him. Mm-hmm. Even a young Greg Henry, nineteen eighty four, who and it would appear that Greg Henry has not aged. <laughs> he looks exactly the same. He's like Max Fonsito.
0: Well, I fact, like um, that says that's like that says that he didn't look young as a young man.
1: No, he always looked forty five. <laughs> okay, yeah, just <laughs> you know, that's that's Greg Henry. That's how he looks. Uh, and there is a there's a thing where I guess I could. Are you ever going to watch body, body Double? Probably. All right. All right. Well, there's a spoiler thing that, honestly, I think savvy moviegoers, yeah, and, yeah, savvy moviegoers, I think will figure out what the spoiler will be, uh, but I, I won't say it. Okay. But um, but yeah, it's a it's a film that I that I enjoyed more than I thought I was going to. Um, and uh, and by and large, I would say I'm not much of a De Palma fan. I don't like Scarface. I don't really enjoy The Untouchables. Mission Impossible is, you know, whatever. Um, I enjoy Carlito's Way. I think Carrie, which is also which also has a lot of Hitchcock influence uh, in retrospect, um, I think Carrie is fine. Um, mm-hmm. So by and large, I'm not a huge fan it's, of his, but I, I also like- haven't seen Obsession or Blowout or his bigger movies.
0: Yeah, you named a bunch of stuff that I also don't care for. Yeah. What would you name? Scarface, The Untouchables, Carrie, um... What's the other one that I don't like? Mission to uh, Mars. Snake Eyes. Snake Eyes, that's right, yeah. yeah. But when I do like Brian De Palma mm-hmm. and like Sisters or Femme Fatale, yeah. I really like him. Those and are both I, great movies. And he did Black Dahlia, right? Which I didn't see.
1: Oh, did he? Yeah, I think he did.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think I like Mission Impossible more than you do as well.
1: Yes, most people do. Okay. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, but I, it definitely makes, like, I need to see Dress to Kill. I need to see Sisters, Obsession, Blowout. Like, this definitely makes me want to watch more of his stuff.
0: And I think you should see Femme Fatale. I think when oh, it, yeah, yeah. I think when uh, yeah. it came out it was immediately regarded as minor De Palma, but I think ten plus years later now, I think people have a lot of respect for Femme Fatale. Well, as I, know, they
1: I know some critics really loved it. I know, I, I think De, I think Ebert has always been something of a De Palma uh apologist. Like, you know, people hated Body Double at uh-huh. the time and he gave it three and a half stars. Um but uh but I was happy I saw it.
0: All right. Uh, you know what gets four stars for me?
1: Oh, my. What's that?
0: You already know because we talked about it at the, in the hotel room. I don't remember. But I am so excited to tell people to go to Netflix and check out right. Tony Robbins' I Am Not Your Guru. And speaking of, you know, I talked about um, looking up Rotten Tomatoes scores on Two Minute Warning and eventually agreeing with it. This one, I, I don't know what people are not getting about mm-hmm. Tony Robbins' I Am Not Your Guru. Um, Because this movie is amazing and it is does not have good reviews and it is in many cases it's the opposite of what uh, to me at least I saw it as the opposite of what a lot of people are saying. Because a lot of people are saying this is essentially an infomercial for the um, uh, Tony Robbins seminars and Mm -hmm. his uh, self-help cult or whatever. Uh, And maybe this says a lot about just how I feel about self-help gurus even though Mm -hmm. he's not your guru. Um, I see this as anything, the furthest thing from an infomercial. Yeah. I see this as a portrait of a psychopath. And if you are <laughs> compelled by this person, I don't know what that says about like what you're missing. I. But that said, here's what's great about the movie is that it also cannot deny that he does help people mm-hmm. when people get to the point where they are willing to go to Tony Robbins he fills something for them and yeah. he does help. So uh, that's what's so revelatory to me is that I, like I start, you know, when he's like at his home, like part of his morning routine is jumping into this. <laughs> he has this thing that he's built into his outdoor, um, <laughs> like his lawn. That's like a refrigerator size standing, like water, like, imagine a swimming pool, except it's only tall enough for you to stand up in. Okay. And it's 57 degrees, which is freezing for water. Well, yeah. that you. Don't, and he j- jumps in it. And the, this part of his morning routine is just shockingly cold yeah. water. Uh, he's just an intense person. And I'm like, early on, I'm so turned off by this person, but, uh, you know, compelled to watch him. Uh, but then it... It turned around on me, but like by the end, I'm not, I'm I'm not a Tony Robbins fan, but yeah. I still like. I'm like, well, I if you are, yeah. if this is what you need, he provides it, and yeah. I can't argue with that. But it is insane. Um, it reminds me.
1: You're gonna say this. the other day, I was I was thinking of. It's like, oh, I'm I'm gonna watch something uh, on Netflix. What should I watch? And remembering your. Uh, endorsement of the film. Uh-huh. I was like, Maybe I'll watch that and I realize like I don't think I'm in the mood for that level of intensity. Yeah,
0: he is intense. <laughs>
1: um, but you know,
0: uh, you know what movie it reminds me of, and quite me because it's one it's from one of the two directors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, this is directed by Joe Ber- Berlinger or Berlinger, sure. um, who with his um former directing partner Bruce Sonnenofsky who has since passed away um he made brothers keeper he made the paradise lost films mm. uh which are great but that's not what i'm talking about they also made metallica some kind of monster mm. and that's what this feels like to me like i think if you're a diehard metallica fan like you're like metallica some kind of monster this is a great behind the scenes of this of this band at the height of their uh, you know like corporate fame at least mm. um I maybe mean, not at the height uh but And I am a Metallica fan, but also if you're another kind of person, Metallica, some kind of monster is a laugh riot. It's two hours and 20 minutes of a band that used to represent something who is now so uh, soft and corporate. And like the fact that this (laughs) like seminal metal band is going to therapy, like most of the movies with them going to group therapy. And then when they sign their new bass player, he gets like a million dollar signing bonus. It's like it's so funny to me and that's kind of how i feel about tony robbins It's like maybe some people do see this as an infomercial uh and maybe some people uh would be compelled to based on this to to do one of these one of these seminars but if you're like me uh it's a train wreck that you can't look away from i, I I'll, I'll stop talking about it soon i'll tell you a couple of things the premise of the of the documentary see tony robbins does books and seminars and stuff all the time but he has one seminar his most intense that he does once or twice a year i guess um called date with destiny and it's six days long each day is well over 12 hours of uh <laughs> it's 2500 people you know like a ballroom much like ballroom 20 at comic-con um uh and it's him talking to them, and that's not even counting the time they spend every morning with their group. They're split up into groups, and if you apparently if you come together, well, we'll get to that in a second, um, it costs five thousand dollars a person. <laughs> so these people are all in, yeah. and so uh, Joe Berlinger, Berlinger, whatever, um, uh, just documented one of these with some interview footage and, and stuff. But it's not really there's not that it's not really biographical. You learn a little bit about his about his childhood, but it's really just about this process. And let me tell you one of the things. So each day has a theme. One of the themes is uh, relationship day. And so the morning of when they're meeting with their groups, they were instructed to write out in prose, longhand, whatever, their relationship vision, what they want out of either the relationships they're currently in or an ideal relationship that they're not in. And so he's doing his... His, uh, his speaking, he's roaming through the crowd, um, cussing like a sailor, by the way, constantly. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. Huh. Um, like he's one of those people who drops the word fuck or fucking in places where it doesn't even really belong. Yeah. Like he's like trying, he's telling one guy that he's a, uh, he's like, uh, he's like, you're, you know, you're worth it. And I know fucking people. <laughs> right. That's like when, yeah. that's like, and that's like three minutes into the movie, by yeah. the way. Um, Uh, God, it's so great, this movie. Anyway, um, so he calls on this woman on relationship day, and he's like, read your relationship vision. Um, And being called on by Tony at one of these things makes you a star for the next 24 hours, we learn, But um, so she stands up and she reads this really eloquent and really kind of like sensual thing about like her... Her her man's chest and like her, like what happens to her body when it touches his body and like the 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 sense of stability and protection that she gets from laying her head against his heart and all this stuff. Um, and then he's he's like, uh, "Is your boyfriend here with you?" I can't do a Tony Robbins <laughs> yeah. voice. It's it's, it's um. Tony Robbins' voice sounds like you went into a studio and recorded the same person talking the same words five times and layered it on top of one another. That's what his voice <laughs> sounds like. Um, anyway, so he's like, is your boyfriend here with you? And she's like, yeah. And this, like, just <laughs> skinny balding goofball <laughs> with a dumb hat on stands up. Well, what's the hat? Uh, it's just, one. It's I, I can't remember what, it's a baseball cap, but he's the kind of guy who, like, I mean, this is just me not liking this trend, but he has not gone. He has intentionally not bent oh, the, yeah, super the brim funny. at all. It's just I don't care pla- for that. I hate it.
1: it seems very
0: uncomfortable. Um, it just seems so ostentatious. Um, anyway, uh, and so he's like, all right, what's your, uh, what's your vision to, to this guy? And so he starts reading his thing that's about, like, it's just so, like, fake and platitudinous and flower. And he's like... E- my essence and your essence and our essence together. And Tony's like, "Stop! This is embarrassing." <laughs> and he visually, immediately decides this guy's not manly enough. Uh, I should say this this woman who stood up was very conventionally attractive, mm-hmm. um, for what that's worth. Um, and he, so he decides you're not manly enough. He pulls him out uh, into like the aisle, and he tells him a story about a lion, a lion cub, whose parents sacrificed themselves to save him, and this lion cub was raised by sheep. And he grew up thinking he was a sheep. And then one day when he's a grown lion among all the sheep, the another pack of lions shows up and they slaughter his entire family of sheep. And, uh, he's, and he's, uh, and, and the lion's like, what have you done to my family? And the lions grab him by his mane. And so he, then he literally grabs this guy by his hair. <laughs> they walk him over to the stream and make him look at his reflection to see that he's a lion and he still doesn't get it. So, so then the lions take some of that sheep meat and they force feed it to him. This is motivational speech. Is about a lion being forced to eat its family of sheep. They force feed it to him and then, when it goes down his gullet into his chest, he feels it, he's a lion, and then he makes the guy roar like a lion into the microphone like five or six times. And then the next morning when they're meeting in their groups, and this is what I was going to say before, apparently, from what I understand, if you come to the seminar together, you're not hmm. allowed to be in the same group. Hmm. Um, so they're the two of them uh, from this couple are in separate groups, and they are the stars because sure. they were singled out for interventions. That's what this is called. Um, uh, and uh, they are both address standing on chairs addressing their group and talking about how the night before they went back to the hotel room and had the best sex of their lives (laughs) um and that is that this movie's two hours like a full two hours that's just a little bit of it there's crazy stuff and there's some stuff that like i mean i'm laughing about some of this stuff there's also stuff that's super intense that you would not laugh at at all it's a fascinating movie i've taken up way too much time talking about it but uh it's terrific, and I kind of want to watch it again. I had this image. I in cried my... a ton. By really? The way. Yeah, this movie, it's funny, but I also was brought to tears multiple times during this movie.
1: Oh, I got to see this thing. Uh, you had, I had this image in my mind when you talked about, like, Tony Robbins, like, going through, like, looking for the person that he was, you know, people to talk <laughs> to. I had this image in my mind of, like, uh, of a uh, Bilbo trying to avoid smog. Uh, <laughs> and he's just like go. And I'm sure the proportions are pretty close. Uh-huh. Uh, Cause I know Tony Robbins like eight feet tall. Yeah. But, uh, and just like, Oh, but that's the thing. Everybody there, they want him. They want to be called. Oh on. my yeah. gosh. Yeah. yeah. That couple paid $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy,
0: yeah. There's w- one one woman he does an intervention with, which I won't go into. This is one of the most. This is the most intense and normal one, but I don't want to spoil it for people. Uh, but she sold all her furniture to come to oh. to date with Destiny. But if you would ask her at the end, I guarantee she'd say it was worth it because she has a breakthrough. Like, and that's what I'm talking about. Like, she is changed fundamentally as a person by this experience in a way that I'm sure she
1: would describe as positive. Feel like with, you can't, can you falter? I can't, but at the same time, I, I also feel like six days, intense though I have no doubt they are. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It feels like six days. Unless it's like a jarring loss or something like that. I can't imagine six days changing you that much for life. It might change, I'll, I'll say six months.
0: Yeah, maybe that's true. I mean, yeah, there is uh, some stuff I don't want to go into um, because they do some like, uh, you know, text on screen at the end about various people you've seen. And and, yeah, some of them maybe have fallen back on old ways, but some of them certainly haven't. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's like a uh, 50-50, would you say?
0: Um, Maybe even better than that. Okay. Maybe a better track
1: record. Uh, I don't know. Listeners, uh, buy some of our commentaries so David and I can go to one of these. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I, no, there's no way. Oh, you and me? Oh, we would have the best sex of our lives, David. <laughs> <laughs> All it's right. like uh, Tony. We're not actually a d- roar. Um, yeah, if okay. he told us to, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, okay, so I rewatched Star Wars: The Force Awakens. Um, okay, and because I I hadn't seen it for a while, it's my third time seeing it, and again, it is a very it's a very good movie, occasionally great. I like all of these new characters. Um at Comic-Con I went to a panel where uh, the people on the panel were making fun of Kylo Ren. I wanted to stand up and call them liars. Um because or just stupid because they don't understand how brilliant Kylo Ren is as a character. And they're like like he's no Nar- he's no Darth Vader. It's like yeah, he's not. That's yeah, the idea. That's the point, <laughs> you know. It's like uh you know, uh, an impulsive that has the ability to kill and will do it. Uh-huh. Like, that's like, it's instability. It's terrifying, you know? I think Kyler right. is a wonderful character, but I also, I like, I like everybody in it. Um, and so, you know, I'm not going to say anything that people haven't said before. What I will say is that in watching it now a third time, it really, it definitely does not feel like its own film. Like, it really, it makes it very clear it is, this is all set up with. A payoff, which is oh well, let's we'll we'll blow up the Star Killer base, and and you know, and Han Solo dies. Like there are some there are some major developments, but it feels like the real payoff will be the next movie or the movie after or something like that. Um, this it, it did a very good job of laying the groundwork for other things. It's how I felt about the sixth Harry Potter. Um, okay, where it it served its function, which was to get me to anticipate what's coming next. Yeah, and yeah. it definitely did that. Um so it's not to say that it's that it's an unsatisfying movie, but it's I think it it obviously had an eye more towards uh franchise than, you know, that obviously than a new hope. Um and and that's that can be a good thing because you know, it can inspire people to create characters that people that the audience is going to want to spend more time with. Um, but it also can be like, oh, all right, it's, I wanted something really rousing, and this, this did not have that rousing of an ending, but, uh, but that's all right. Um, I was still happy I rewatched it. I still think it's a very, very good movie. I still enjoy it tremendously. But uh, that, was a, that was a thing that I think I only uh, started uh, thinking about now in any kind of serious way. Okay. Um, okay. Uh, pivoting very dramatically from Star Wars The Force Awakens, I watched Pedro Almodovar's Bad Education. Uh, oh, I saw that one. This was in the context of uh, the uh, Hitchcock, Hitchcock stuff. influences. Uh, the influence definitely announces itself in the opening title sequence, which is Saul bass, and it sounds like it's not Saul bass, but it sa- it feels like yes, it. Yeah. And the music definitely feels like uh, Bernard Herman. Um, and while the 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 style that follows isn't inherently Hitchcockian, the story is incredibly hitchcockian you have characters that you have lies upon lies upon lies people saying i am, pretending to be somebody else and then they're found out but it's never revealed that they're found out but we know and so we're just sitting and waiting for the truth to come out and then when it does it just brings on more lies it's it's really fascinating and uh but it's also but in, you know, I I think there's only the second Almodovar film I've seen. Uh, the only the only other one was uh, Talk to Her. That's a great one. Um yeah, I like I like that. I like this. Um people have said that they're, you know, that I need to see All About My Mother, I need to see um The Skin I Live In. Um, I love The Skin I Live In.
0: I I don't know if that's considered uh, by a lot of Almodovar fans in the top tier, but um I in, love in
1: it. this Hitchcock content uh, context, uh, people said The Skin I Live In has uh, definite Hitchcockian elements.
0: The Skin I Live In is Hitchcock meets uh,
1: David Cronenberg. <laughs> so, yeah. <Wolf. laughs> oh, good God. Okay. Um, yeah, and uh, there is one... There, you know, I mean, uh, something I know about Almodovar is that his films uh, do not shy away from the sexual, and this film is definitely no different. Mm-hmm. There is one... I want to get your take on this. Okay. There's it's one been a scene in time the time film... I saw it when it first came out on DVD. Okay, that so sense. that's like 12 years ago now. Yeah. Um, there is one scene... Where okay so there's there's these two young boys uh they are probably eleven okay, okay. twelve maybe they mm-hmm. might be a little bit older and they just look young. I'm not sure um, but anyway uh, and they are attracted to one another, they are each other's first love, as they say, uh and there's a scene where they go into a movie theater and they're sitting next to each other at the movie theater, and then like they reach over they each reach over and they're just they're both looking at the screen, but they reach over and they're just like, you know. Jerking yeah. each other off. Uh-huh. Now, obviously, you're not going to see any uh, full frontal things, but you're going to see a lot of arm movements there. And the thing is, like the f- now, of course, in the, f- the the fact of it, like this is a- kids do this kind of thing. Uh, maybe not in theaters, uh, but at the same time, maybe uh, like the idea of like playing doctor and all that, like it it rings a hundred percent true. And even though I have no doubt that those those young actors, they're not actually touching each other, right. but they're still doing this and i was just like that is like acting asking the actors to do that and then maybe having to explain to them what they're doing they probably have some idea and like are their parents on set like everything about it just seemed not necessarily immoral not even necessarily unethical but (laughs) well uh for a number of reasons but (laughs) and just like as i was watching i'm like like look i totally like the the emotional impact of this is not lost on me but it is also being undercut by my concern for the actors. And that is a, that's the thing, you know, and there, there's, yeah, there's I'm, like full on, there's nudity in the film. There's like simulated sex, but it's with adults.
0: Adults. Yeah. I've, I can't think of any other examples off the top of my head, but I felt this way before about, yeah. um, uh, what, what I'm okay with, but I don't know. Maybe they were, maybe the kids were told they were doing something else. Maybe. I,
1: I can't and imagine what, that moral. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
0: Um, uh, back into, uh, newer movies, uh, for me, um, I saw, I saw the new Mike berbiglia movie. Okay. I feel bad bringing this up because everyone likes him and his movies and I didn't like Sleepwalk With Me well, and I, think every, I don't like this new one. I think everybody likes don't think him. Twice.
1: Yeah. I don't, I don't know that people like his movies that much.
0: Well, I don't know. Uh, people I've talked to who have seen Don't Think Twice, um, oh, okay. I ran into, um, I, I don't know, Ethan Anderton who writes for Slash film. That's not his real name. Okay. Um, I don't know. I, I was gonna, I'm going to preserve the mystery even though he's very open about what his real name is. I'm okay. not sure what the whole story is there, but I ran into him at the screening and he was very, very positive on the, on the movie. Um, and, uh, that seems to be the, the consensus. I just, part of it is, yeah, I, Mike Brigley is, thing
1: is not my thing i remember you sent out the the notice to like review it uh-huh and and i and i remember being like oh that's my berbiglia berbiglia's thing and i was like oh and i looked at the cast and pretty good cast good cast and i looked at the description mm-hmm. and i'm like nope yep here's this to looks terrible this is
0: why you and i host the yeah. podcast together because yeah if you don't know it is a movie about an improv team <laughs> so it is a like so I don't know, is it like, do I not like this movie, or is this movie doing a really good job of capturing what improv people are like, and maybe I just don't like that? It's, uh, uh, maybe all of the above. Uh, yeah, but no, I, I do think, um, I think the movie has too much dialogue in it. <laughs> like, I think story-wise, it's actually quite... Uh, interesting it's basically an improv troupe uh at various levels of talent and at various levels of their careers and one of them played by uh keegan michael key um gets hired and gets cast on essentially saturday night live it's not called mm-hmm. saturday night live in this world but he gets he moves up and um the different members of the group react very differently to oh, that it's, happening it's a very good story uh yeah and and i think if you were to just take a machete to the dialogue and just stop having people say how they feel all the time Mm -hmm. it would actually be a much better movie because it does create this interesting situations and some of them are are rough and it it asks us to sympathize with characters who are behaving very selfishly and cruelly at Mm -hmm. times and i find that interesting there's just too much talking about it yeah but to go back to my conversation i bring up my conversation with um Ethan not his real name. Um, uh, it, he offered the insight that maybe the kind of people who do improv comedy, they're essentially like theater people. Maybe these are the kind of people who do over talk about their feelings and emotions uh, all the time. And that is that, that that is 100% uh, le-
1: legit. Um, and uh, yeah, not all of us are, uh, you know, from St. Louis where we keep everything <laughs> inside, uh-huh. you know, uh, some but, of us won Best Actor State of Missouri year two thousand. No, oh god.
0: Um, <laughs> but yeah, the uh we mentioned having a great cast. The the improv team is Michael Biglian, Keegan Keegan Michael Key, um Kate McCucci, mm-hmm. um the Gillian Jacobs, yeah, uh, and Chris Gethard. Is that yeah. all of them? Oh no, and Tammy Sager. I knew I was missing no and Tammy Sager. And then you've also got some um little uh some small parts here and there by uh Adam Pally Pally mm-hmm. plays one of the other writers of the Saturday Night Live type type show. Um Ben Stiller plays himself. Um he's because of the Saturday Night Live type show, he's yeah. the host that week or whatever. Um yeah, it's it's not it's not bad, but it's not for me. Yeah. Uh I yeah, I, I just don't think Michael Bigley is, I don't know, that like sad, the mopiness of him, it seems so, I've used this as a pejorative before, but it just seems so NPR. And of course this movie is produced by Ira Glass. Sure. Um, uh, who, you know, mo- more power to Ira, Ira Glass. I have n- no interest in his thing, but that's fine. I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure he has no interest in my thing. That's fine. I don't care. Um, but uh, this this fits in with the rest of the aeroglass thing that I don't like, and the Microbiglia thing, which seem to go hand in hand.
1: You know what's interesting though is that the the reason that you give for not liking it is not actually the reason that I assumed I would not like it. Um, I see a movie about an improv troupe, I'm like, oh no, like it's just going to be a bunch of people that are insufferable, but that the movie insists are funny and and there's, clever, and but it sounds like. That. I'm, I have no doubt, but at the same time, it sounds like, you know, these characters are having genuine reactions to this, you mm-hmm. know, and very show business reactions, um, and that the thing that you have a problem with might be a thing that that definitely resonates with me, um, but uh, I don't know. Uh, I'll probably never see it. <laughs> okay. So right, it will remain a mystery. Um,
0: did you ever see Sleevel with me? I've talked about. The movie before, because uh I like to give credit where credit's due. And listeners might remember me saying this a million times, but it's a PG thirteen that uses its one fuck very wisely. I'm not paying for these fucking chicken fingers. Uh it also has a great joke where he's um um arguing with his mom on the phone about the about whatever, and he's being dismissive of her. He's on the road and he says he's staying at a La Quinta. And she's like, isn't it La Quinta? And he's like, no, mom, it's La Quinta. As he's walking past the desk and you hear the woman at the desk say, welcome to La Quinta. (laughs) That's a very funny joke. So credit where credit's due. And this definitely has some funny jokes in it as well. But uh, it's not my thing. Okay. What's next for you? You have one more or three more? One more. One more. And then uh, TV. A lot of TV. Uh, Last night. You'll get to that quickly. Yes. Okay, good.
1: (laughs) Uh, Last night, Jen and I saw Star Trek Beyond. Star Trek beyond what the hell was that
0: oh apparently you're not a fan of the band madness
1: and their song, i guess one
0: no. step beyond no i'm sorry oh well that's how i've been saying star trek beyond in my head <laughs> the entire time uh
1: you haven't seen any of these star trek movies right
0: uh no i've seen star trek the motion picture okay and i've seen star trek II: the wrath of khan okay End of story that's about me ends. seeing Star Trek movies. It's unfortunate. There are some good ones. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not dismissive of them. I just, that's how many I've seen.
1: I mean the most recent ones, the J.J. Uh, the Abrams, now Justin Lin ones. Um, <clears throat> this is a perfectly uh, adequate um, follow-up to Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, there are elements to it that I really like in that it feels like a smaller movie. Now, there's plenty of big things happening. But it feels like an a long episode of a TV show where I don't know, not everything is the end of the universe. Although even though that is part of the implications to the 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 villain's plot in this, but it just it just feels like an installment in a series as opposed to this climactic thing. And I don't know why I don't know exactly what it is about the film that leads me to feel that, but um it just it feels like a complete movie in and of itself that nonetheless um, doesn't feel like it's taking itself too... certainly not taking itself too seriously but also doesn't feel like it needs to accomplish everything uh in this in this film and I recognize that i I just taught in talking about Star Wars the Force awakens one of the things that bothered me about it is that like it feels like it's like it's not uh wrapping everything up but it's just But that was all about setup. This one definitely feels like it's the third, and there's probably going to be a fourth and a fifth, and it definitely feels like a third, and it does not...
0: Yeah, I am... It's not not
1: trying to do too much.
0: I am not against that. I I feel like there are some people who feel like every movie should stand alone. Mm -hmm. I'm not against movies being serialized to some extent.
1: So I didn't... I've never seen... I think I've seen maybe one or two episodes of the original Star Trek. I've seen many episodes of Star Trek next generation. I watched it a little bit, uh, here and there when I was a kid, I never watched them like all in a row. So I would just come in, watch an episode and get out. And that's what this feels like. It feels like I'm, I'm watching one episode of a bigger series. There are probably things that had I not seen the previous episodes, I wouldn't have understood, but I got enough of it that I could enjoy this. Uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And, uh, I feel like that's, that's actually a fairly rare thing. Uh, especially these days where everything is part of a fran- If something is part of a franchise, like there's going to be a lot of, a lot of loose ends and a loose end doesn't inherently bother me, but it's more just like a teasing. like, guy uh, aren't you interested? Aren't, aren't you? It's, it's more that it's, it's, it's more uh, about getting you in the theater for the next one, as opposed to setting something up organically that you want to see paid off. Um, and so, I don't know. The I think the action is pretty good. I, I enjoy the I enjoy the performances. I feel like they probably could do better with the uh, character development, um, but they also feature they, they they give the characters that are. That are better developed, uh, more screen time, like the like Bones played by uh, Carl Urban. Uh, this is mm. the most screen time he's gotten in in any of the three. They give him a fair amount of things to do, and it's and it's really nice. Uh, and then they also, as you know, there's the the alternate timeline thing. Mm-hmm. And so there for the last three movies, there have been two Spocks. Sorry, the last two movies, there have been two Spocks. There's old Spock, ambas- Ambassador Spock, and now there's this younger Spock, and they actually have interacted with each other. Okay. And Leonard Nimoy is gone now, and so in the film, Ambassador Spock has died, and younger Spock is dealing with that. And there comes a moment when he uh, he pulls out um, he pulls out a, a, a picture. He was looking at like Ambassador Scott's like be- uh, uh, Spock's belongings, and he pulls out this photo, and it's a photo of the original cast from wow. I think the sixth Star Trek movie. And so, like, you know, these are all characters in this film, and it's, like, they look different. The film doesn't question it, and he just looks at it, and it actually, I'm not a big Trekkie, uh-huh. but it actually, like, stirred something in me, and That's it made cool. me sad. And it also made me sad to see Anton Yelchin, honestly. And just the, Is the movie, like, dedicated to him or anything? To it's, have a- at the end it says, in loving memory of Leonard Nimoy, for Anton. Hmm. So that was kind of a nice thing. Yeah. But, um... Yeah. So it's a, it's a perfectly serviceable, uh, not even, it's, it's an enjoyable, uh, action sci-fi adventure movie. Um, you could do a lot worse. Um, I wasn't a hundred percent invested. Um, but I, but I enjoyed myself. It was a fun cinematic experience.
0: Okay. The last thing uh, I'll talk about on this episode is a documentary that I saw just last night called the Eagle Huntress. Um, it's, uh, it's an inspirational documentary and it definitely succeeds in being stirring and inspirational, but it is, um, really shallow and amateurish, which is too bad because it's an interesting story, but it's also the kind of, it's like a whale writer, but it's a documentary and it's, you know, real. Mm. Um, basically there's this Mongolian, uh, nomadic tribes, uh, and they are hunting a hunter, a hunting tribe. That's what they uh, do. And they will go. Uh, yeah. Uh, but they don't hunt with, uh, you know, bows and arrows or guns or whatever, they train eagles to hunt. So they, like, circle, they find foxes, scare them out of the holes, and then, like, sick the e- and the eagle goes and kills them. So they train eagles from a young age. Uh, and this is something the men do. And there's this one guy who's an eagle hunter, and his daughter, his eldest daughter, wants to do that. And so he uh, trains her, like, helps her get an eagle and trains her. Um, and, uh, you know, he's the family's very supportive. His father is very supportive, but there are other older, more traditional males in this tribe who are, uh, against a girl doing this. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it hits all the marks that, um, everything I said, uh, would imply that it hits. And I'm, the fact that it's a documentary, you know, I'm very happy that this happened. There's some really, you know, the Eagles themselves seem really cool if you're into Eagles? Animals. Even yeah. Yeah. the Eagles. Sure. Yeah, Joe Walsh, Don <laughs> Henley, Glenn Frey. Yeah, um, they go hunting foxes. <laughs> just like the Eagles did with the groupies, right? <laughs>
1: oh, watch out.
0: Watch out. Um, anyway, uh, I, so I can't fault the movie except that it's just... Uh, it's weird to say that it's something that a documentary is formulaic and predictable, but it is, and it doesn't go... But very deep beneath the surface of anything, like I said, it's like whale writer, and it's not yeah. anything. Even though whale writer's yeah. fiction, like it's not anything you don't get out of a yeah. uh, whale Rider's fictionalized. I guess. Um, and also, I as much as I like Ramin Djawadi's music for Game of Thrones, the music here is it's just like everything else I'm describing. It's exactly what you would expect for this at every moment. Uh, kind of telling you how to feel being sort of vaguely world music ish, yeah. you know, because this is Mongolia. Let's have some, uh, more Asian instruments or whatever. Oh, right. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I it's a movie that, it, uh, I'm all for and yet can I get excited about who directed it? Uh, a guy named Otto Bell. This is his first, okay. uh, First film, you
1: almost get the impression because it fits so much into that whale rider thing. Yeah, you almost get the impression that he found out about this thing, went to go visit them, had seen Ra- whale rider, and then kind of whispers into this girl's <laughs> ear like, "Hey, wouldn't you like to do this?" Hang on, let me get my camera, uh, and then just like, yeah, because it fits. R- that fits a lot.
0: Yeah, she is the best part because you see that she is she is very passionate, but also like she is one hundred percent you know, a girl in her you know, she goes to school mm. and stuff and is like friends with the other girls and you see them being, you know, quote unquote girlish, you know, having yeah. similar parties or whatever. Um, it's not like she's an outsider or apart from the tradition. She just she wants to do this. Yeah. Uh and um it turns out she's quite good at it, which is good for the movie. Yeah.
1: That's it. I'm done. All right. I've got three T V shows. Let's go. I watched on Hulu. I watched eleven twenty two sixty three. All of it. Yes, it's uh it's a miniseries, eight episodes. Okay, and uh, I really enjoyed it. There are parts that I think are a little bit clunky, but what I like most about it is that, cause, and it's about this guy who uh, discovers a wormhole in time that transports him back to nineteen sixty, and he can't go anywhere. He goes to the same place, uh, the same place and time in nineteen sixty, mm-hmm. and. So he decides he's going to hang around in the past for a while and prevent the Kennedy assassination. Uh, but what I, I think what, what works best is the idea of... You know, it's a time travel movie, so the, the idea of unintended consequences is a big, is a big part of it. But un, unintended emotional consequences, like the idea that, oh, he actually falls in love with somebody. You know, you can't, he spends three years in the past. He falls mm-hmm. in love with somebody and... Has to you know cope with the fact that well wait a second is he just going to stay back here is he going to go back to the if he prevents this is he going to go to back to his time and see if the if preventing the Kennedy assassination like made a difference like if he does that then he can't bring this woman with him and uh, so there's I like that I like that it's so regularly the Kennedy thing is going on. But it so regularly will dip into these other elements. And one of the things, it's based on a Stephen King novel, so there will yeah. be certain elements like, like the past is like a li- – or like the, the space-time continuum, whatever you want to say, is like a living thing, and it knows that you're trying to mess with it. So things will happen to him to try to keep him from doing this thing, uh, seemingly at random. Like there comes a moment when he's following um, – lee harvey oswald into this club when he's supposed to have a a dinner meeting with this very important guy and nobody knows what happened or what was said at that meeting only that it took place and so he's following lee harvey oswald and he's walking along this club uh walking through this club and a chandelier falls like right in front of him and he's like oh my gosh and he keeps walking and then like uh somebody spills like uh uh what oh shoot what is that called sterno Oh yeah, yeah. In front of him. so like there's a fire that starts in front of him and he just and he's like and he knows what's happening, so he just needs to like keep walking. He's like, they clearly do not want me to see what's about to happen. Uh so I'm just gonna keep moving and, and I'm gonna get there. And so there's there's some neat ideas, yeah. as one would expect. Um and it's and it's handled very well. The acting is great all around. Um James Franco does a really good job. Uh Chris Cooper is in it. Um and he's he's in it is sort of he's the guy who gives him his assignments and uh and uh nick Cersei is in it uh it's it's a you know it's a very it, it is at times a very playful movie it doesn't dip into the the well of you know hey you remember this thing from the past let's yeah. make reference it doesn't dip into that very often it's a very a very effective uh miniseries and if you have hulu i suggest you watch it okay um next up i watched the first few episodes of the third season of bojack horseman not as strong i think oh, the bad. first two seasons are pretty solid uh this one you know i mean it could it could go to an interesting place uh right now it's it has its moments but um it's not doing anything because when i when i watched the first season of bojack horseman the fir- the first few episodes i thought like these are very obvious jokes and the, st- and the, the jabs that it's taking at Hollywood are not new. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it really developed the characters and we saw their arc, that's when it became satisfying. This is kind of falling into that, uh, where the first few episodes it's reestablishing this world. And it's like, oh, ah, yeah, you're telling me stuff. I already know the satire is fairly toothless. Um, and even the Bojack stuff isn't that interesting, but, uh, but now it's about him, you know, fighting to get his Oscar nomination and that kind of thing. So there, there are some elements that are in, that are interesting. So we'll see how it goes as I continue. And then lastly, I watched the entirety of Stranger Things. Uh, like, I've only like seen so the pilot. Many others. Yeah. yeah. What did you think? I the loved the
0: pilot. I was I was yeah. hooked. Um. Uh. Because I love that it's a mix of, um, sort of winking fun. Mm-hmm. and a serious story with real characters yes um yeah especially when on writer um and uh who plays the sheriff uh, his name I, l- I looked it up it's david something that's david why i remember something david i holter? always for...
1: was it is it david holter is that sound right it's something alter or something okay. uh
0: yeah, I we talked about it on we talked about the first episode on hey watch this so i remember looking it up for that purpose and now i can't remember what his last name is
1: yeah i don't uh, i yeah. don't recall he's an actor whose name i always forget yeah. i feel bad about that because he's always a dependable actor but um david harbour harbour okay so um yeah no it's when i watched it i mean within one episode and certainly two and then the entire the entire season um I, I immediately started thinking like, okay, so what do we got? We got Goonies, we got Stand By Me, mm-hmm. we got E.T. E.T., sure. Uh, we got Stephen King all over the place, um, which is to say I'd say uh, it, and I guess Stand By Me is Stephen King. Um,
0: yeah, and I also think, um, I mean, I don't know much but I uh, of what goes on after the first episode, mm-hmm. but I kind of got a fire-starter vibe from the, the girl being sort of yes, uh, And yeah. uh,
1: there are elements of Poltergeist. There are. Right, there, yeah, There's a, saw those, yeah. There's a and also I think there's some elements of, of Twin Peaks as well uh, as as it goes on. So, but that's the thing. The film is the miniseries. Sorry, uh, yeah, yeah. The 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 show is not just a collection of references. If it were that, I wouldn't have watched the whole thing. It would have it would have gotten yeah. very tiresome. But yeah, it establishes characters. It has a, a fully realized plot. Um, I'm invested in what is happening. I want to find out more. Uh, but also I think, um, as, as the show went on, I got a lot of lost in there. Um, okay. Not a lot, actually a, a fair amount, just as far as like there's a mystery, but also the way the characters are dealing with it. Fe- it reminded me of lost. Um, and, uh, I like that it doesn't, it doesn't overdevelop the characters. It doesn't underdevelop them. It, it, it understands the nature of ensemble really well. Um, and, yeah i'm just uh i'm just i was perpetually interested in what was happening and engaged and by that final by the last episode i found myself getting a little misty-eyed at Mm. a couple of things here and there and uh yeah it's it 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 steps false once or twice um but those are minimal and for the most part i i think it's great i think it is it's weird to see something that like is fully formed from the outset Mm -hmm, you know what i mean
0: did you see uh the missing child posters for Will Byers all around Comic Con all I around did not. San Diego? I, I might and you, know you, you I might right. have and didn't know. You didn't watch it yet. I yeah. Had, yeah, I had watched the pilot, so uh yeah, I noticed that. There were a lot that's of cool. Yeah, have you seen this boy or whatever? Yeah. Uh, eh, Will Byers. So that's
1: it. Uh yeah.